live from Jirber. This is the Lock Tomb Podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. As you're probably aware, this podcast is about the Lock Tomb series by Tamsin Mirror. And Mel, I just have a I was wondering, how was your week last week? <laughs> Did you have a good week? Oh my god. My week last week was kind of a total shit show. Mm. I should have taken more than one day off of work. I did take one day (laughs) off to read, and I didn't finish in that one day, which meant I was reading and listening throughout my work day. Mm -hmm. It was a disaster. I didn't get as much done as I should have. And then I have all these regrets about reading this book too fast (laughs) because now I've got to wait like another year for the next one. But it's fine. I am so excited for my reread. The book was delightful. I'm so excited to talk about it. Yes. How was your week? It was similarly hectic. I read a book also, Known of the Ninth <laughs> by Tamsin Muir, <laughs> book three of the Lock Tomb series. Yeah, I, I listened to the whole thing. I did not take time off of work, but I have a job where I could listen all day. <laughs> Next time I'll take some time off. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good idea. We might have some new listeners tuning in who haven't listened to our other episodes. Typically, you know, this is a reread podcast where we go through each book little by little and talk about it to each other. This episode is a special episode. We are reacting to Nona the Ninth. This will be totally different than a reread. Mm -hmm. We're kind of just going to be shooting the shit with each other. A lot of y'all wrote in with things that you wanted us to talk about, and so we're going to do our best to incorporate all of that. Mel and I have not talked to each other about Nona the Ninth yet. It was very difficult. Mel had to stop (laughs) me several times, but we haven't actually talked about, besides just saying like, holy fuck, that book was good. We have not talked to each other about this book. So this is all fresh. Fresh. It's raw. Mm -hmm. But Mel, we can't miss out on the most important part of this podcast. Right. Yeah. You know, before we dive in, I have a question for you, Amy. Mm -hmm. If Camilla and Palamides were a tree, what tree would they be? A palm tree? You're not supposed to get it. Oh, shit. Should I I have a different joke. I have a different joke. Let's try this one. Okay. Sorry. I won't get it. When When Pira DeVay figured out Mm. what Cam and Pal were about to do. Yes. Pira was what? Um, what? A Paul. <laughs> nice. And Amy, what did I just do there? I told you a great riddle. Otherwise known as what? It's a griddle. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of griddles up your sleeve, Mel. I'm I'm gonna be running dry, I think. We'll see how long we can keep this up. People, send in jokes to Mel, but label your email or your message, joke for Mel, Amy, do not read, secret, secret, secret. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's uh, move right on ahead. This is going to be kind of unstructured, so we'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. apologies if this episode is a total mess. 
It just reflects how we felt throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. The most important question that we have to answer here is, Amy, how gay is this book compared to the other two? Hmm. I would say equally as gay as either of these books. And I would say that additionally, the gender shit is wild. There are some gender shenanigans. It's trans. It's genderqueer. It's just so freaking cool, the role that gender plays in this book. I was very excited about it. But yeah, I mean, it's gay as fuck. Yeah, I kind of I kind of felt like this was the gayest book yet. Mm, mm-hmm. I feel like Gideon was like figuring out that you're gay. Mm-hmm. And then Harrow was first girlfriend vibes, you know? Oh, yeah. And then this one is like your ex dates your ex, but you're friends with your ex and... Now your partner mm-hmm. has this tie to this other person that you sort of dated once. Like, that's how the gayness escalates in these books. Yeah, like the found family stuff is really real in this book. So I feel like there's just as much queer sort of romance or like hinted at romance in this book, but there's also a bunch of other facets of the queer experience that come up in this book and I I found that really really cool. It's certainly and I think that we can all agree that it was not less gay than any of the books. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Definitely not. My question to you is if you could describe Nona the Ninth in one sentence, a single sentence, how would you describe it? Hmm. If Earth was a human, she'd be wonderful. But real humans are literally the worst, except for children and maybe Paul. Oh, my God. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. That should have been on the back cover or (laughs) it should have been on the book jacket. (laughs) This book was paced really interestingly. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that in a second. I think the only kind of thing I'll say about the structure right now is that This book is separated out into acts, just like the others. Mm -hmm. There is a storyline that is told from Nona's perspective, and that perspective picks up at an unspecified amount of time after the end of Harrow the Ninth. So time has passed between the end of Harrow and the beginning of Nona. Right. But we don't know how much time has passed. And then the other perspective is told from Electo... Or Harrow, or a combination Electo Harrow's perspective, supposedly not long after God killed off the entire population of Earth, or maybe closer to now than we think. It's a little unclear that timeline, but that story kind of follows a conversation between Electo and God, and it's mainly God talking at Electo about the origins of necromancy and how things came to be the way they are. Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting because there was a lot more exposition in this book than there has been in the past two books. Mostly, I mean, the jawed conversations. And I thought it was interesting because Nona was originally supposed to be the first act of Electo. What I think probably would have happened if it had been a part of Electo is that these Exposition y chapters with Jod would have been like seriously pared down. 
I feel like they were really important to this book and I'm glad we learned what we did. I feel like because this was made into a new book, Tanzan Muir had the space to include all of this information and a rich background story into pre-resurrection Earth. Yeah. And what exactly, like literally step by step, way more information than I ever (laughs) thought I would get on what exactly happened. Totally. I mean, and God is kind of an unreliable narrator. We cannot trust his version of events exactly. And his version of events doesn't hide what a dick he is. (laughs) So... It's probably mostly true, uh-huh. but we we don't fully know because we are only getting this story from God through Electo slash maybe Hera. So it'll be interesting to see in the next book how we get even more information if that storyline continues in a different way, which uh-huh. I think it will, and whether we get that story from a different perspective, which disproves or validates the story that we were told. Totally. You know what I thought was actually really interesting is that I was surprised by how accurate fan theories were, especially regarding pre-resurrection stuff. I think even in this podcast, we were talking about how God might have been a scientist and was studying something to do with our dying earth. And that's exactly what happened. Obviously, we couldn't have imagined the exact specifics of what happened, but you know, fans more or less guessed what had happened pre-resurrection. And it's funny because Tamsin Muir said in an interview, I believe, that she thought that there was enough information in the first two books to infer everything, to put all the pieces together. And I think that really you could say dedicated, you could say obsessive fans were able to (laughs) put that puzzle together and get this picture that ended up being pretty accurate. Yeah, I would say that the thing that maybe I learned or that surprised me, and it probably shouldn't have surprised me, was I had given God a little more credit. Mm -hmm. In Harrow, I thought maybe he did what he had to do because he had to do it and that maybe there would be a way to justify his actions or something depending on what they were and I just any sympathy I ever thought I had towards God went out the fucking window yeah and I think someone wrote in and was like we were like hey y'all write us in if you have anything you want us to cover and someone wrote in Jod is such a dick I almost did not finish or skipped his chapters I mean they were brutal yeah And he is actually the fucking worst. Like, if there was any doubt before, I just feel like there's nothing that could happen that would redeem him. Right. I really thought that what it would have been was that the billionaires or trillionaires all left. And then years afterwards, with the Earth really reaching a point where everyone was going to die anyway, then Jod would speed up the process. But no, it was just that he was trying to use the power not to save the earth at all, but to try and get revenge on these trillionaires who had basically slighted him. And that's it. And yeah, they were shitty. Like, And I mean, how accurate was it that that, that's exactly what would actually happen if we were in this situation, which, you know, we might be. (laughs) But yeah, Jod did not kill the earth to save the earth primarily he killed the earth because he was mad at some rich guys yeah i feel like 
God here represents so many of us, and I'll put myself in this, who just like point towards the billionaire class or the trillionaire class as like the problem, which is totally true. And it basically like pushes off any responsibility that any of the rest of us have. And so to me, he just like represents that level of hypocrisy that justifies his crimes by pointing to the crimes of other people. And he's just like, in many ways, so much worse than the trillionaires who left. They at least, it's expected that they would do that shit. Right. God hid behind this veil of doing things for the common good and justified his actions in that way. Right. And I'm really excited to get into the nitty gritty of this when we do our reread because there's so much to unpack here. But the other thing that I'll just say that makes me fucking hate him is that he could have resurrected all his friends with their memories. Oh, yeah. And he didn't because he's a fucking coward. Yep. Also that he made Electo into Barbie. I mean, like, there's literally (laughs) nothing that was revealed about John that was good and just a horrible human. Also, I will say one more thing about the God (laughs) storyline here. As a vegan, (laughs) I really appreciated the cow theme. I think there were, like, a few really good lines, like, cows watch sunsets, cows exhibit morning behaviors for other cows, whatever, right? Because, like, God basically kills off a bunch of cows Mm -hmm. to make a wall i don't know something horrible and in the storyline you have basically the people in power keep pointing to that as a reason not to trust god (laughs) you know and it's just like a shit show of like bad people pointing at other bad people for doing bad things and all that's to say is like I kind of cringed through that because it really put on blast the darkest corners of my like vegan identity, where in that vegan scene, you can get a lot of self-righteousness about animal oppression, which (laughs) I'm on board with, but you can't be so self-righteous about animals that like we forget about the humans. Yeah. And if you're going to be fighting against animal oppression, you have to also be fighting against human oppression. And I just feel like... That was kind of slipped in here under the radar, and I really appreciated it (laughs) in this storyline. I mean, it's bonkers. Yeah. To the person who almost skipped his chapters, I feel for you. I actually think that if a writer has written a character that makes you feel that angry Mm -hmm. and like feel that much, then mission accomplished. Yeah. Then this is brilliant writing and character development here so i loved god's chapters i do not love god right i do have one question so first of all yeah i i agree it was amazing how we were not fans of jod before but it was really incredible how much tamsin Muir was able to show through god's own perspective he had the floor. He was telling us everything. And he obviously thinks he did the right thing or did the only thing he could do. And yet everyone or most people think he's a real dingus. So (laughs) that was incredible. I do have one question and we can go into this way more when we read these chapters. But just right off the bat, is the person he's talking to Harrow or Electo? That is the question I think we'll continue to be asking. I have a theory. I think the person that he is talking to is Electo sometimes and Harrow 
other times. Interesting. And this kind of leads us into, I think, a question that came in around like how souls work in mm-hmm. this universe and also leads us into a question around what the fuck happened with Gideon's soul? <laughs> how <laughs> is it that Gideon was in Harrow, but then God was able to resurrect Gideon into Gideon's actual body? What is up with the souls? I think in our reread of Harrow, we had questions about how weight could be in a couple places at once. And in a recent interview, Tamsin, when asked, I think, about where Gideon's soul was, said something along the lines of, if Gideon's soul is a happy meal, Harrow only ever ate the cheeseburger, wither the fries, the soda, and the tie-in toy. And <laughs> the tie-in toy. And so what I take that to mean is that Your soul can be kind of broken up, put in different places. And I actually think that because Electo and Harrow's souls have kind of been enmeshed for so many years, Mm -hmm. that we're seeing this sort of combination version of them, both in those conversations with God, but then also within Nona. I think the other big question is who who is Nona? Mm -hmm. And if we go with the theme of the book where... It's pretty much only told from the perspective of one character. We are maybe led to believe that Nona in Nona's chapters and Electo in Electo's chapters, that they are like the same person. They're just like kind of different versions Mm -hmm. of themselves and both enmeshed with Harrow. Yeah, it's interesting. There's definitely high level and then deeper level stuff. High level, Nona is definitely Harrow's body. It's definitely partially electo whether it's Mm -hmm. fully electo or electo plus we'll have to sort of tease out but really 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 interesting questions on that note we had a listener write in asking us how we dealt with the lack of gideon and harrow (laughs) because even if there are little bits of them and even though gideon does come back we obviously don't get to interact with gideon and harrow in the way that we did in previous books so, I mean, how did how did you deal with that? I think that I have put so much trust <laughs> into Tamsin Muir at this point that I'm I'm doing okay just rolling with it. Mm-hmm. I actually really enjoyed Nona. Same with Harrow. I had trouble adjusting in the beginning, going from right. one character who we got to know really deeply to another. But part of the fun of these books is just like exploring the character and uncovering all the mysteries through their perspective. And so I felt okay about it. Obviously, I want a Harrow and Gideon reunion and not a Paul situation for those two. Mm-hmm. But I I did okay. And I also think that that's because there are so many other characters that are so amazing to me and interesting that I just trust that that we'll come back to those two at some point. And I'm okay with waiting how did you deal with it i mean poorly (laughs) no it was okay i really loved nona i've heard some people say that they had a hard time connecting with nona i loved nona i loved her immediately i think it's alex harrow who's an incredible writer herself wrote the little blurb on the book and it's you will love nona and nona loves you i just felt such affection for her and it was really nice to have that kind of energy brought into these books and to hear about all this really really dark shit through the eyes of someone who is so purely good 
Right. We can get more into like the nature of Nona and why she is the way she is later. But yeah, I mean, I thought that that filled the void for me. I think what was harder for me was when Gideon came back and wasn't quite Gideon. And I wasn't mad about it, but I, I was like, wow, I really thought that this would be like, you know, she would wake up in her body and then she and Harold would like go off and have a bunch of really weepy sex. <laughs> but you knew that wasn't going to happen. I know, but happen. I mean, I, because I knew it wasn't going to happen, but I still, you know. I mean, on that, a lot of people are wondering what we thought about Gideon as Kiriona mm-hmm. and, you know, as this resurrection being in her dead body. I mean, how do you how do you read this version of Gideon that we're getting in this book? I mean, as you were mentioning, it, it seems like Gideon is Gideon, but is also missing some bits, like <laughs> some parts of her soul. And so I feel like that is a little bit of an excuse for how she's turned out. But also, I think the thing that makes the most sense to me is like she's been through all of this shit and then she's just spent six plus months doing stuff that we haven't been able to see. So she's been going through some stuff that isn't explained. And I, I'm sure we'll get a little bit more insight into that later. But six months is a long time. A lot can change. And I'm sure she's incredibly angry and feels let down. And also, you know, in a way, she got everything she ever wanted. She's the daughter of God. She's She is like the top of the cohort. But I think probably it rings pretty empty for her. And she's realizing that all she wants is Harrow. And I mean, it's got to be complicated. I understand why she would be a bit of a dick. Yeah, I didn't find it surprising at all. No. I was sad about it. I was like, this isn't what I want to be happening Uh right now. But she gave her life for Harrow. Right. Didn't think she was going to have to live without Harrow. And now look where she is, literally living without Harrow, but dead. So, like, can't actually die. Right. And then her her dad is, like, a horrible person and just wants to use her. Right. And it's like, yeah, hurt people hurt people. I would be an asshole, too. I also think that as we move in to talk a little bit about Paul... I think that Tamsin's writing is so good because characters do change. And I was talking to someone about this the other day about how I think what makes this book a standout is that the characters are really believable because Mm -hmm. their actions actually make sense based on the history that they have, the experiences that they have. And of course, the Gideon that we see right now isn't going to come off in the same way as the Gideon that we knew in the first book. Right. So much has happened since then. So is it what I wanted to happen? No. Does it make sense? Yeah, totally. And I don't I don't blame Gideon for her behavior. Me neither. You know what really pissed me off, though? Actually, I was personally offended by God's meddling with Gideon's body. That perfect bod. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know what happens when he's in charge of making a body for someone, so. Harrow likes Barbie? <laughs> my thought too i was like this can't be but i I saw some tweet somewhere Ugh. also being on twitter has totally ruined my life (laughs) but i saw something that was like it makes sense now that harrow is attracted to ianthi interesting honestly 
Yeah. I think Hera's tastes are diverse, of course. I don't think we can put her tastes in a box. But it is fascinating that Harrow, Harrow's young self saw Electo and was like, this is the most beautiful girl I have ever seen. <laughs> but then when God made Electo's body, Electo was like, I am a hideous <laughs> So funny. On the Coronabuth Yanthe thing, we got a question about... <laughs> I'm going to read this... It- this is the direct the quote. <laughs> so like, <laughs> is Tamsin Muir actually about to go there with the Anthe and Coronabeth, or have I been watching too much Game of Thrones? It might have just been Moira Quirk's take on Ianthe's voice, but their reunion felt sexually charged to me. Curious about <laughs> you guys' thoughts. Oof. I mean, okay. An excellent... This, this is a really good question. Thank you so much for that question. It's exactly the kind of question we yes, would get. thank you. <laughs> I would say for me, top level... No, but is it kind of a thing still and a maybe? Isn't half of the geisha in this book a maybe? I think that (laughs) I think it's complicated. I feel like there was an episode in our hero reread where I said something. I was like, is there a weird twin thing going on here? No. Do I think this is at the level of Cersei and Jamie Lannister? No, absolutely not. Also, you can't even bring Game of Thrones into (laughs) this series. They are not equivalent at all. This is 30 million times better and more creative than than his work. Wow, brutal slam on Martin out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sorry about it. For the record, I never watched the show. I only read the books. Mm. We'll leave it at that. But... I don't think there's anything sexual between them, but I do think there is like a very unhealthy power dynamic that goes on between them. We saw it play out in the previous books. I feel that Ianthi has a hold over Corona Beth and Corona like cannot help. Just it's they're like magnets to each other. This, though, I didn't really pick up on necessarily sexual vibes between them, but I think there is a strong attachment. And even when Coronabeth brought Judith and was like, hey, can you take Judith in? It struck me as Ianthi being really jealous right. or something. I don't think it's sexual, but I think it's possessive. Right. And Ianthi wants power over everyone. And Coronabeth is her first ever person who she had power over. And so I think there is a deep-seated thing there. I, I will say I was confused during the epic fight between Cam and Ianthi, plus Palamides, why Coronabeth encouraged that? It seemed to me that throughout this book, Coronabeth definitely was not on Ianthi's side, and that actually really surprised me. It wasn't surprising to me, but I feel like what I saw in that in their whole interaction is that there is this like magnet very charged. I mean, I don't think it is sexual per se. I do feel like what is happening with Corona Beth is that she's really fighting it. She realizes that it's not good. She also loves Judith. That was surprising. Yeah, that was... Well, you said that from as yet unsent. That seemed to be a thing. Well, I mean, I knew Judith loved her, but I was I was surprised, honestly, that that was reciprocated or at least... Why, you don't think Judith is lovable? Well, I mean, she's a bit prickly. 
<laughs> There's someone for everyone. I mean, I think we can say it's a truth that Corona Beth is in love with Judith because mm-hmm. Nona said it. And Nona is a truth teller. Right. It is w- a wild match. <laughs> I feel like it could work. They'd be kind of hot together. Why could it work? What What about the relationship could work? Judith's like laying down the law and Corona Beth's like the fun one helping Judith break out of her shell, but Corona needs to be like taken care of and put in line sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I feel like we could really go into that. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll tag that for a later conversation. <laughs> Speaking of relationship dynamics here we should probably get on with talking about cam and pal oh yeah there was a huge spotlight on the cam pal relationship in this book that i found surprising it was the freaking best but i i didn't expect that much time and attention to be given to their relationship but it really does make sense they were really like the beating heart of this book right and maybe back to that question before about how i dealt with harrow and gideon not really being together Mm -hmm. in this book is that we got such a powerful relationship between camilla and palamides and one told in a way that is probably the most unique like the fact that they are sharing a body and couldn't talk to each other Mm -hmm. there's so much tension there and yearning because you can't actually talk to this person writing notes to each other and like just being on the same team and having each other's back and literally sharing a back. I loved everything about their storyline. Me too. It was hard for me to accept Paul as the perfect ending to that love and that story, but I'm coming to terms with it and I do get it. That scene is beautiful. It is a beautiful scene. Someone wrote in and asked our thoughts around what we think the iconic scene from Nona is. Mm -hmm. I feel like that scene is one of the most iconic moments in this book, at least for me. I was going to say that as the answer to that question as well. Yeah. There's maybe one other scene, which we'll get to, that I think is pretty Mm -hmm. iconic. But to me, this merger of Camilla and Pal into Mm -hmm. Paul (laughs) was really powerful and beautiful. I cried. And Mm -hmm. I grieved and I celebrated. You can read their relationship in so many different ways. Some people call it codependent, which it might be. In other ways, they just, they grew up together. They know each other as well as they know themselves. And they complement all the different parts of each other. And together, they're the perfect human. (laughs) So it's just, it's interesting that they both die as individuals Mm -hmm. and this new person is born which is i think better than having one of them die and the other burning the other's soul but i also don't think this is necessarily perfect lictorhood i think that there's a better way or lictorhood just inherently is not a a great thing Right. I mean, these books are all about these deeply enmeshed relationships, and we can call them codependent or whatever. But at the end of the day, when you have a best friend or your partner, you are codependent, and that's okay. Obviously, codependence can go too far, and you lose yourself. But these people 
I think are healthily into each other or at least, you know, whatever they, they made their choice and I'm not sure it's wrong or right. It just, it just is. Yeah. I will also say my dad's name is Paul. <laughs> so I, it was hard. I was like, Oh, Paul, dad. Yeah. That's so funny. I, I kept reading the word Paul and it lost all meaning to mm. me. You know, when you like look at a word, I kept being like, Paul, of all the yeah. names, I think Ianthi has some great alternative names that she calls uh -huh. Paul that are funny. I know Tamsin Muir names everyone super mm -hmm. intentionally. And Paul, I know, is a biblical name. So it'll be interesting to see why their name is Paul. I also don't... Did we get pronouns for Paul? Were they using he, him pronouns? Were they using they? Mm. I think it was still a little ambiguous. It better be they, right? Yeah. Or just Paul. Or just Paul, right. Maybe Paul just goes by Paul. But I thought Paul was kind of like, it felt so random to me, even though I know, of course, it's not. And I'm sure there's a very important reason why their name is Paul. Yeah, we can go into biblical Paul more when we do the reread, but we can probably get some hints about their future going forward based on the biblical Paul, but we definitely can't get into that right now. Yeah. All that's to say, I'm a Paul fan. I'm very supportive of that decision, even though it was a hard one to bear witness to. And I really hope we get more of Paul in the next book. Me too. I mean, I'm sure we will. Yeah. On that note, re-biblical Paul, this book I felt was more overtly Christian slash Catholic than either of the last two. I mean, literally the chapter headers for the Jod background storyline were titled with chapters from the biblical book, John. Did you see? I have no idea who originally came up with this or who originally figured this out, but the chapters are a cipher. I saw that. And I'm confused. I, yeah. So the chapters spell out based on the cipher, the tower is reactivated, I think. And that brings us to the tower. I feel like my biggest questions about, you know, this book answered a ton of questions. Honestly, it answered more questions than I thought it would, but it kind of brought in this whole new thing that makes no sense. And that is the tower. There's a tower in the river. And now all my questions are about the river. Well, it's a good thing that your questions are about the river. I think the next book will answer all of those. I mean, it's it's interesting because not to compare these books to Harry Potter, they are very different. <laughs> but in the Harry Potter books, I grew up with them and they got darker and darker as the series went on. And by the end of Nona, I felt that I was reading a completely different book. As soon as everyone got to the ninth house, it felt or actually even as soon as they started traveling in the river and then got to the ninth house, right. these books just completely changed. Right. There was no humor towards the very little humor towards the end. We had a little comic relief when Gideon and Ianthe were going back and forth and the friendship bracelet thing, which was hilarious. <laughs> and I have questions about that. Don't we all? <laughs> but these like demons are now, it's not just humans versus humans. It's not just trying to uncover the past and how all of this 
came to be, it's actually looking at, oh shit, these demons are coming up and we have to figure out what the fuck we're going to do. And that to me was like the most probably terrifying turn of events. Yeah. And I think a lot of that final book is going to be related to that shit, which we talked about how in Electo, I think a lot of the focus is going to be on the river and the places that God cannot comprehend. I agree. Yeah, I think we're going to spend a lot of time in the river in Electa the Ninth. You know what I really hope, though? I really hope Electa the Ninth is not written in the way that the last couple of paragraphs of Nona with like the thous <laughs> oh, and these and stuff. <laughs> I trust him's in mirror with my gentle baby queer heart, but I c- could not <laughs> deal with that. I actually loved it no mo i usually i usually don't but i thought it made it that much funnier i thought it was so good can we also just talk real quick about how crux comes back and guess what i glamony comes back and i said in gideon that i think i glamony is gonna come back and here we are yeah it was funny because i thought i don't know if we ever talked about this but i had this thought that maybe when we were next on the ninth, it would be in the wake of a massacre where Crux and Aglamini had been killed. And we didn't come in then. We came in like kind of as it was yeah. happening. And they probably could have held off on their own, but they were saved by the arrival of our heroes. I also liked that Crux, well, it was a really interesting scene when Crux dies to provide mm-hmm. the Thanergy to get into the mm-hmm. tomb. And Gideon slash Kiriona realizes that that death did not satisfy or fill like this hurt that she had experienced from crux all her life that was real that was a real 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 that that was one of the most brilliant things to sneak in here and again we can blow it up when we do our reread but gideon as the child of god is like, I need to get revenge on this man who made my life fucking miserable and does, and it doesn't feel good. It doesn't actually make anything better. Mm -hmm. And Gideon's daddy has dedicated the past 10,000 years of seeking out these billionaires to to make them pay for, quote unquote, what they did. Right. I think that's a real moment for Gideon to not become her dad after after that. Right. I thought that was really well played by Tamsin Muir. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And it was also really sad. (laughs) It was really sad. That whole last bit of the book is like pretty chaotic. I feel like I'm not even really equipped to talk about it yet because I I only have listened to the book once and I am super confused about a lot of details. (laughs) I've listened and reread that last couple chapters like several times now. (laughs) Wow. I will say I think there's some really fun things that we get to explore in our reread and that the last parts of the book I think were really fun to read if extremely dark Mm -hmm. but we all wanted a throwdown between Gideon and Ianthe at some point and I think the way that kind of comes about at the end is cool we obviously get to see Electo and Harrow reunite which is amazing there's a lot to talk about and all those interactions there, but we'll save it for, we can save it for the reread. 
sort of a big picture question. Well, maybe it's kind of more specific, but what were your thoughts and like first reactions to Ianthe and Gideon's apparent oh my friendship? I, my jaw dropped. I I loved yeah. being so taken aback by that scene. Yes. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I like, yeah, I was like, what the actual fuck is going on? And the friendship bracelet thing was like also bananas to oh me. I can't help but wonder if there's something more to that. But maybe there's not. Maybe they just fucking made friendship bracelets. I also, again, many months have passed. Maybe they have some sort of weird fucked up friendship. Who knows? Or it almost read to me more like a sibling relationship. Yeah, you know, at first I was completely flabbergasted, but then I remembered that all this time has passed and that Jod is apparently just sitting around, drinking too much, fucking all the wrong people, being like super mopey, and Ianthe and Gideon have been around dealing with him and around probably like taking the lead on trying to kill these weird ass stoma creatures that are taking over this planet whatever's happening there and you know even if they don't have a lot in common outside of that they've basically been the only two people on the same team in this complete shit show for the last six whatever months yeah so yeah i'm i'm really excited to learn more about their relationship yeah it also sounds like it wasn't so deep because gideon basically betrays her at the <laughs> yeah. end of course because at the end of the day harrow above all else <laughs> Right, right. We had another audience question that was asking us if we thought that Harrow and Gideon were going to merge a la Paul and what's going on with Gideon's body. And I, well, what do you think? Do you no think way. that that's what's no going to happen? I do not Neither. think they're going to merge. They have a very different relationship than Cam and Pal. Totally different. And... I think that they would rather be together as who they are than become one person, is my guess. Yeah, I agree. As fucked up as Gideon's body is, we still have both bodies. So I think it would be a weird narrative choice. Yeah, I just don't think that would really make sense. Also, I feel like it would be incredibly hard to write a scene in which they merge into one body that's as poignant as the Paul scene. And whatever happens in the end with Harrow and Gideon has to be the most poignant, straight-to-the-heart shit that Tanzan Muir can accomplish, which I just don't think that you could do a repeat of the Paul thing and have it totally, be as impactful. Totally. And I think the reason the Paul thing is so impactful is because of the way that Pal and Cam's characters were written. And yeah, I, I don't know what we're going to see between Harrow and Gideon, but I think it'll be different. I think it'll be maybe heartbreaking. I don't know that we're going to get the happy ending that we all want, but that is what fan fiction is for. So <laughs> we're all in it together. I don't think this is the kind of series that's going to end poorly. Like, I think that there will be a good ending, but I don't know if that necessarily is like all of 
our gay fantasies about Hera <laughs> and Gideon, even if not ending up together. Like it, something's got to happen to necromancy at the end in general. A lot of things are going to have to change. It's going to be hard to pull off, but I think it'll end in a way that's satisfying. But we'll cry, I'm sure. I feel like I'm already crying thinking about it. How many times did you cry reading this book? <laughs> I probably cried four times. Yeah, I think I'm about the same. Yeah, I felt really emotional when, <laughs> and this is, I don't know, of all the things, but when Hot Sauce realized Ugh. that Nona was a necromancer or had you know wasn't like someone without powers mm -hmm. of some sort and basically kicked her out of the group i my heart broke because these are children right who are just parroting what they're seeing and learning from the people around them again going with that theme that all these books have around just how shitty <laughs> these adults are and what they did to these young people hot sauce is 14 she is a child mm -hmm. and has all these prejudices not for nothing it's really complicated <laughs> the houses are not innocent in in what they have done to other people and when you zoom in on an individual level nona is the kindest most genuine person in these books and is kicked out of the club because of this prejudice that just fucking broke my heart. I also am a sucker for bullying stories. I can't watch any shows yeah. where bullying happens because I was bullied in high school for a little while and it was horrible. So I just feel so much for kids who are going through that. Right. And so there was something about that dynamic that just really broke me when it happened. Yeah. Similarly, I cried when she was then brought back into the group uh -huh. <laughs> and that I was crying out of happiness. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was actually, if, if we could close any loops here, if there are any loops that close in this series, I would say like that loop, if we never saw hot sauce again, I would be okay. Yeah. I would like to see hot sauce again, but I felt like that closed really nicely. Right. I feel like there were a couple of character arcs and relationships here that like we suffer. We suffer ended up being a great character. I really liked oh her. God, and it yeah. wasn't just because Moira Quirk did her with a French accent. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanna know why that was the choice. Yeah. Um, me too. But also, you know I get emotional with the sort of sports vibes but i felt like the end of the we suffer arc when she's like talking about that code word <laughs> that was one of my weepy moments yeah and and then they all salute her as she leaves and corona beth keeps her salute uh -huh. up yeah totally i got really emotional around that too yeah like uh, oh captain my captain type vibes totally, yeah all totally. day like i will cry <laughs> camaraderie tears yeah yeah also, the Paul scene, obviously, I wept. I wept like a yeah. baby. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was also removing a squash plant and just like weeping and weeping. <laughs> I'm looking up at my client's house like, I hope my client doesn't see me just sobbing over their <laughs> mutilated squash. <laughs> so. Oh, man. There are a couple characters we should probably talk about mm -hmm. that we haven't yet. So a big question and a big kind of reveal slash not reveal in this book is 
that the angel who is the science teacher Mm -hmm. is someone important who BOE protects pretty hardcore. And it turns out that they are called the messenger and they have a bodyguard named Pash. And what's not answered for us is who actually is the messenger and what is their message? I think the messenger says the message is too simple (laughs) for humans i really hope the message isn't like love no (laughs) tamsin muir isn't that corny Uh, well sometimes yeah i mean you know the pool scene but not in that i don't think in this instance but yeah i mean really interesting and it feels completely separate from any of the other storylines that we have it feels like a, a totally separate tangent that is probably going to become really important i think the pronoun thing around the angel was really interesting Mm -hmm. the angel used she her pronouns as a teacher and i think there's an interaction between the angel and posh where where posh is like if people knew what you were spending your time doing they'd be mad or or shocked or whatever right something along the lines of You just want to, like, have a chance to be her or something. But outside of being a teacher, the angel uses they pronouns. And I actually, I don't think this is necessarily a gender identity thing. I actually think this is because the messenger is more than one person. But that is my theory. Right. Also, there's the bit where Palamides falls into her because he sees that she's had some sort of necromantic procedure done. So it could be some sort of lichterhood adjacent soul swapping stuff as well. I also, I'd have no idea if it's tied to this, but there are a lot of questions I have about Cassiopeia and her failsafe with the sixth house. Oh, yeah. I need to reread that. I I don't even, there's not even anything I could say because I just feel like I really have to read that super slowly (laughs) until it makes more sense. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that in our reread. Also, as a side note, I love that Cassiopeia was a lawyer in her previous life and that the sixth house is all about like logic. (laughs) Yeah. Another character I'm really excited about and I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing more of is Posh, Mm -hmm. who happens to be related to Gideon. <laughs> I know, what a surprise. Gideon has a cousin. Gideon apparently has many because they quote unquote mass produced descendants of Wake. So wild. But Pash seems to be a particularly special character. Uh-huh. I think Pash is actually a cousin of Gideon because Pash's mother is Wake's sister. Right. Yeah, so they are literally cousins. They are literally cousins, and I and their vibes really remind me of each other. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because at first Posh like kind of bothered me. I was like, cool your jets, my friend. But I didn't bother. I was like, yes, like, let's go. Let's have some confrontation here. Also, Posh really grows by the end of the oh, book. Yeah. I just love I love it. Yeah, so it'll be really cool. I'm really excited about The Messenger and Posh and what we'll see in the next book and how they're going to interact with everyone. I think it's going to be really cool. Yeah, for sure. We haven't talked about Pira at all. 
I mean, there's so much to say about Pyrrha, but I feel like we'll hit it when we go through our reread. I think that kind of the top line thing to say about Pyrrha is that Pyrrha is hot. Pyrrha's very hot. (laughs) And I feel like we can all agree that Pyrrha's super hot. Just hot vibes. I thought it was really interesting to watch the Pyrrha-Cam-Pal relationship, this sort of forced found family. And they obviously have aligned goals, but like slightly different goals. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to dig more into that. I loved how Pyrrha was with Nona. And I really hope that she continues to be an important character in the next book as well. Yeah. I I cannot wait to do our reread. (laughs) It's going to be so fun. I know. We have to just quickly talk about at least one more iconic scene. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, to the person who asked us what, you know, we think the most iconic scene, we both agree that Paul is, for us, the most iconic scene. Mm -hmm. I will say where I've seen the most fan art, unsurprisingly, is when Nona kisses Gideon. And obviously, we're all hungry for that. And so... It's not particularly iconic to me in that, like, it's a big plot point, but we all wanted it to happen. And because Nona can read people really well, she says to Gideon, oh, you looked like you wanted to be kissed. Mm -hmm. So there's your receipt. We know then Gideon has some, like, romantic and sexual feelings towards Harrow in that direction. (laughs) That is definitely confirmed. Yeah, and then there's another kiss that's pretty. <laughs> there's another kiss. iconic too. Yeah, and that is when Electo, quote unquote, kisses Harrow. But because Electo is Earth, doesn't know how to kiss and bites Harrow instead. I have a lot of theories and thoughts around why Nona knows how to kiss someone, but Electo doesn't, and we will be able to unpack all of that. In the reread, there are a couple other really notable scenes that we won't go into the details here, but I will just share some scenes I really enjoyed reading was that epic fight between Cam and Ianthe plus mm-hmm. Pal. And actually, the end of that fight completely took me off guard when right. Pal defeated Ianthe within Nibiris's body. And I really want a short story that just is the fight scene between Pal and Ianthe like whatever that was that we yeah. didn't get to see. I I need that. I need to see that. Another epic scene is the tantrum that Nona throws where like her body parts go through the chains. She just rips herself apart. I mean, it's fucking violent and wild. <laughs> and my heart was pounding really intensely through that. I really liked that whole bit when Nona is recalling when she went swimming, like the jellyfish, and then when Cam had to do a possession at the same time as Pal to kill all those guys and then went into the energy shock. I just thought that was such a cool scene. It was a really cool scene. And I've seen some good fan art around that as well. Yeah, some other things I liked were that we got a little cameo from uh, Palamity's mother, who we met in... Mm -hmm. The short story about the sixth house, which was cute. Yeah, that was just really fun to see. I am honestly a little bit worried. All the trust in the world for Tamsin Muir, but she has really 
put herself in the situation where there's going to be like an intense ensemble cast. Do you remember how hard it was to keep track of people in Gideon? And then we went to Harrow where there were like four characters. <laughs> right, right. There are going to be so many people in the last book to tie up, like so many strings to tie up. Yeah, it'll be really fascinating to see how it's pulled together. Mm -hmm. And I actually think, you know, my very early moments of reading Nona, I was thinking, damn, I wish this was all just one book. Mm -hmm. And then you hit Act 5 and you're like, oh, no, I couldn't have handled any more. <laughs> yeah. But I think that in Nona, Tamsin Muir did a really good job just setting us up for the last book. This very much felt like a setup. We were introduced to some new, really important characters. We got to spend some time with them. And in Gideon, I felt that we didn't get a lot enough time to get to know everyone. Mm -hmm. And you actually had to reread it to like really get to know people. Right. And this book, I'm really excited to reread because I know that I missed a lot of things. And I know it's going to be really fun to unpack all the little clues and crumbs that were left for us and i feel prepared and ready for electo i feel like mm -hmm. i've grown to really like all these new characters and i'm really excited to see what happens yeah i think that tamsin mirror is gonna pull it off like better than we could even imagine because i feel like every single one of these books has been an exercise in trusting the artist and Every time she pulls it off, every time, even this book, which is like kind of an, an in-between book, it does have a full arc. It has a full new character that grows and changes. There's an epic climax that takes up the last, you know, act of the book. This would have been too much to cram into another book. I, I just think it was so, so well done. And I feel like it's really written for the people who are really dedicated and into the series especially and hells yeah i love that all right i think we covered most of what we wanted to cover yeah. we didn't get to all of the audience questions mostly because some of them we felt would be a better fit for the actual reread episode so we will get to them and thank you so much for writing in we are really excited to have more time going forward to interact with listeners and be a more active part of this community. And so we will be more active on there. We're trying to answer emails more quickly. We're going to just try and engage a little bit more quickly as much as we are able to. We still have full-time jobs and, you know, full lives and friends and partners and stuff to do, all this gay stuff to do. And so, <laughs> but we, we just, I feel so blessed to be a part of this community. So Thanks for engaging. Thanks for also, also rating and reviewing us wherever you listen to this podcast. Yeah. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Yeah. We're, we're so excited to have another year of this podcast and hanging out with y'all. And hanging out together. Yeah. What a joy. Our Nona reread is not going to begin until November, but we have a few bonus episodes up our sleeves that will hopefully be able to get out in October. In the meantime, if more questions are coming up for you, if there are things that you want us to cover in the reread, send them our way. You can get in touch with us at our website, locktoompod.com. You can email us at the ninth 
at locktoonpod.com or tweet at us. And I will do my best to navigate Twitter. It's been quite a ride at Locktoonpod. Oh, yeah. And until our next episode, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Olivia Kay for writing our theme music, as always. And we can't wait to continue this epic, super freaking gay journey with you. <laughs> I'm Amy. I'm Mel. And we'll see you next time here at the Locktoon Pod.